We will eventually uh, get to that scripture passage, but where we're going to be camped out today, just in case you want to uh, um, be there in your Bibles, if you brought your Bibles, we always suggest you bring your Bibles, especially since we don't have our pew Bibles at this current time, but they should be returning relatively shortly. In Second Chronicles chapter 20 is where we're going to kind of rest ourselves today. We're going to talk about that scripture passage. That's, that's actually the basis of the sermon that uh, Landon just read. Now, Landon explained this in the call to worship, but let me say some, um, some other words about it. We are in this midst of this three-week series. I will take the first two weeks. Landon will take the third week because my family and I are getting away for a very short vacation until um, my surgery on June the 1st. And so we are going away on May 30th. So we will not be here with you to worship, but Landon is ready to go. Um, one of the, this, this is called Songs for Life. One of the things that I've noticed in my own personal walk, and I did this at two previous churches that I've served, and, and, I, and I've been wanting to do it here, and now has brought the time. One of the things that I've noticed is that I have a different perspective on life when my car radio, depending on what my car radio is tuned to. Um, let me explain that to you. If it's tuned to something that is not of Christian value. And I'm not saying it's bad. It's just not of Christian value. It doesn't bring in things that are of Christian uh, perspective. Um, I have a different kind of attitude. I show up to things. I have a little bit of a more of an edge on my, on my shoulders and, and I can tell it. But when it's tuned to Word FM or the message or whatever it might be, and I'm constantly filling my head with scripture um, as these artists present them to me, I, I can tell it in my walk with Jesus Christ, in my perspective. When I get out of my car, it's a much happier perspective. I have a much um, grander look at life. And, and sometimes there's things said by the DJs that, that just remind me, if they're even called DJs these days, um, uh, that just remind me of the God's beauty and what God is trying to do in our hearts and lives. And so the, the goal, if you want to know what the goal of this sermon series is, is to get you to consider. If you're not tuning in, that you might consider tuning in. Um, we're, not, we're not asking you to like every contemporary song um, because there are some contemporary songs that, if I'm honest, at 40-something, I don't really like. But what we're trying to do is show you that there's, there's, this, there's this world of wealth out there. And, and, and we hope that you will grasp that as you go throughout this sermon series. And so Landon and I have kind of picked our favorite songs to, to kind of use in our sermon series here. Um, I, I don't even know which one. Landon had two or three that he was trying to nail down. Um, and uh, I have my two nailed down. Um, and so this week you'll get one. Next week you'll get the next. And, and we hope that this will be an encouragement to you. So one of the metaphors that the Bible uses over and over again for the Christian life is that of a battle. The Bible says so in Ephesians 6, 11 through 12, which Landon read for you and is on the screen right now for you. Ephesians, of course, is talking about the battles. I'm not going to reread it. Landon just read it for you. Ephesians, of course, is talking about the battles that we fight daily. They may be financial battles. They may be spiritual battles. They may be relationship battles. All kinds of battles in our daily lives. In the Old Testament... 
we find that Jehoshaphat, king of Israel, don't you just love that name? I've been saying it all week, Jehoshaphat, um, king of Israel, got word from a friend that three enemy nations were coming after him to fight him. Now, what you need to know about Jehoshaphat is there's some kings that were a part of Israel that were good kings. And then there are some kings that are not good kings, much like we, uh, as far as godly kings. So much like we might have one uh, leader that is a good leader, and we're not going to get into who those were or who those weren't. And then we get some other leaders that aren't good godly leaders. But Jehoshaphat was one of the good guys. And so one of the things that he's doing is he's setting up the nation and he's bringing all of this stuff to, to light. And he's setting them up to follow God in all that they do think and say. He's setting up the nation of Israel to be a successful nation. And so what happens is, what happens when that happens? Other nations begin to get word of that going on and they don't like that so much. And so they start to, start to ponder what would it look like to wipe Jehoshaphat right off the, the, the earth? What would it look like to take Israel and just, just demolish her? What would it look like? And so in this Old Testament, we find this Jehoshaphat, king of Israel, again, got word that three enemy nations were coming against him. Not just one, three. All right, it's bad enough when one nation says, yo, we have you on our target. It's pretty bad when three nations say it. The odds were not good because it was three nations against the one nation of Israel. The Bible tells us that these three nations were the Moabites, the Ammonites, and you guessed it, another ite, the Menunites. Let us look into the story. It's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And here's what it says right off the top in verse 1 and 2. After this, the Moabites and the Amorites with some of the Menunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Now, after this means he has done some good. He has set up the judges. You'll see that in chapter 19. He set up some judges. He's put some people into spots that are biblical people, that are godly people, that are leading the nation the way that he would like to see the nation go, which is honoring Jesus Christ. And so after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Menunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already in Hazan, Tamar, that is En Gedi. You see, God put the story of Jehoshaphat in the Bible to show us, to show us something. That'll be on the screen next. You can fly it up there. He put us this story in to show us spirit. No, no, next, back, back, please. Spiritual principles in winning the battles of life. Now, we all have battles. We all face battles. You've, you've talked about some of them. Um, we've talked about some of them this morning. We've, we face relationship battles. We face other battles. We face COVID battles. We face other battles in our lives. We all face battles of some kind. 
And sometimes if we're not careful, what we do is we remind ourselves or we get to the, the mindset that the people around us, the people that care the most about us are the enemy, not the battle. And Jehoshaphat is in that is in that in that uh, in that thinking. He's beginning to wonder, you know, what's going on here. And you're going to see some some very key moves that Jehoshaphat makes during this time. And he's gonna he's gonna remind us of how important it is to have a spiritual outlook when we are in the midst of the battle. Because if we face it and we look at each other and we look at other people and we say to them, they're the enemy, they're the enemy, they're the enemy. We won't stand. We will fall divided. And Jehoshaphat knows this and he's looking at the nation of Israel and he's going, I got to keep these guys from keeping the perspective. I got to keep them from getting to the point where they look at each other and turn on each other. So here's principle number one. You're going to get seven principles today. Here's principle number one. Identify your enemy. Now earlier on you read verse one with me. And, and so show us. it shows us the first principle in overcoming the battles of life. To identify the enemy. Jehoshaphat does that. Now, listen, in your battles, it's going to be different. You must identify the enemy. The enemy is not most likely the person standing, sitting to your left or to your right. The enemy is someone who is looking at it from the perspective of a principality or a, or a power in your life. And they are, they are stretching you and they are beginning to use these battles that are in your life to start to make you think that, the, that you're battling each other. This seems like a rather obvious principle, but actually it isn't. Actually, it isn't. You say, well, of course I would want to, you know, if I'm going to fight a battle, I want to know who my enemies are. But yet there are battles fought in the name of Jesus Christ sometimes, and we fight each other instead of fighting Who's the one that's causing the division? And so while you say it's obvious, it's not obvious because you chew each other's necks up. Not you personally. But I've watched churches do it. Oh, it's so obvious, Pastor. Is it? I'm not so sure. Many people simply do not know who their enemy is. They start misconstruing and mistrusting everyone around them. Often we think the enemy is some other person, even our own family members, but they may not be the ones that are standing against us, but for us. Many times the enemy is, is, is our own attitude, the way we handle the situation before we can start Winning our battles, we must know who our enemies are. Notice how Jehoshaphat reacted when he heard that these three nations were coming against him. Listen to verse 3. I believe it's on the, it'll be on the screen. Yep. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed the fast throughout all of Judea. Now we're going to talk about some of this, but I want you to notice something. Jehoshaphat was afraid. 
He had the emotion of being afraid. Do you know that if I had a dollar for every believer who told me, why are you so afraid about your surgery? I'd be a rich pastor. Because somehow fear has been told to us that fear flies directly in the face of faith. And if you have all the faith in the world, you will not have fear. Wait a second. Jehoshaphat is a follower of God. He is one of the good kings of Israel. And yet he faces these three enemies. And what does the Bible say? It's right on the screen. Afraid. He was fearful. It's okay to be fearful. Here's the problem. The next set of words after that. What does that fear ask us to do? For Jehoshaphat, it says in verse 3, that the fear had him seek the Lord. And it didn't just have him seek the Lord. Notice the words there. And proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judea, Judah. Wow. So not only does Jehoshaphat find himself in this afraid, fearful spot, and not only does he set his face to seek the Lord, but then he also tells the entire nation of Judah, get on your hands and knees, it's time to fast, because we're about to face a big enemy. Which brings us to point number two. Do not be driven by emotion. Of course, Jehoshaphat was afraid. He had every right to be afraid. This is where the, where the Christians, in some ways, in today's day and age, have gone wrong. We have somehow said that if you have fear, you somehow don't have faith. It's a lie, straight from the enemies. And, and I believe that's where it's coming from, from our enemy. Because if he can make us believe that somehow we don't have fear, or that we have fear, then our faith is weak. Guess what we do? We beat up ourselves. We go into ER mode. That's what I call it. Woe is me. I don't have enough faith because I'm fearful of what might happen. I'm so scared of what might happen. Woe is me. Woe is me. And guess what? Then Satan's got us where he wants us. Our defenses are down. We're looking for every excuse in the book. We're looking how lowly we are. We're so frustrated with ourselves. And Satan's got us. Three nations were coming up against him. That would be a typical reaction for all of us, wouldn't it? I mean, just think about it. You're the king of a nation. You're trying to do what's right. And three nations are saying they're going to come and get you. But here's what Jehoshaphat didn't do. He didn't let his emotions control him. Some people do that, don't they? They let their emotions, hey, hello, me. They let their emotions take control of them sometimes. They'll get mad. They'll get angry. They will be furious. Look out if you're standing anywhere around them. Then what happens? You become a casualty. Why? Because they got so darn emotional that they just eat you up and spit you out and you die, spiritually speaking.
And Jehoshaphat is here to say to us, guys, if we're going to go down that route, we're going down a very dangerous route. Look what the Bible says in James chapter 1. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? James answers that for us. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. But the Bible also says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, For the Spirit of God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. You see how those two can kind of fight each other? Here's what, here's what we know. We know that everybody in this room and everybody watching online this morning is emotional beings. That's the way God created us. But do not let your emotions get the better of you. That's a spiritual principle from Jehoshaphat who's facing three nations coming after him. And he's afraid. And he should be afraid. But the third step is this, third principle is this, take your problems to the Lord. Let's look at verse 3 again. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout Judea. When Jehoshaphat learned that three nations were coming up against him, he was afraid. But instantly he set himself, listen, he set himself to seek the Lord. The third principle in winning the battles of life is to take your problems to the Lord. Prayer ought to be the first weapon we use. Whenever we face the battles of life, not the last, usually the last thing we try is prayer, right? I mean, you know, you all can be um, within yourselves this morning, but I'll be honest. Sometimes when we're, when, not that you're not being honest, but sometimes when we're in the midst of the battle and we're looking at all these battles that are going on in our lives, the very last thing I do is say, okay, God, give me the answer. No, I try to go back to the books that I've learned. I try to go to professors that I've had. I try to seek out prof uh, professional help or whatever it might be. I try all of these things and then prayer is the very last thing. And what Jehoshaphat is doing for the nation here, you want to change your nation? You want to change your church? You want to revolutionize who Temple Pennsylvania is? Who Laureldale is? You want to see neighbors come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Let prayer be the first thing you do. Instead of trying to do it all. And then figuring, well, we've tried to do it all. Now we'll ask God what to do. You see, it's the last thing we try because we want things to work out on our own, right? It's that C word again. We talked about it a few weeks ago. It's control. See, if it works out the way I said it could work out, look at, look at how good I'll look. Because I have control. 
See, God's asking us to just give up control. Jehoshaphat prayed, and do you know what he said? In effect, he said this, God, I know you've helped me in the past. I know you can help me in the future, so please help me now. Please take care of our enemies, for we have no power to face the vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon us. That's basically verses 6 through 12. If you turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, that's 6 through 12 in a nutshell. Look, God, we have no answers. There are three nations that are about to attack Israel, and we have no answers. We don't know what we're going to do. We're talking hundreds of thousands. We're talking thousands of people that, that this isn't even a fair ball game. This is like Freddie's soccer team having, nine, having one player on the, on the field, and the other team has the usual seven or nine or whatever they have. This is so unfair, it's not even funny. And Jehoshaphat is leading his nation and saying, look, I'm a good king. Jehoshaphat had every right to say, I got this. I got this figured out. I, I learned this in king school, if they even had such a thing. I learned how to do this. I learned this. You put me in this for this position. I've got it all figured out. Just follow me, nation of Israel. And instead, what he says is, no, you know what? I don't got any answers. I don't know what to do. We are so in deep. I don't even know what to do, but I know who to ask. Wow, would that bring us fresh wind of the Holy Spirit to the United States of America if someone, someone standing in some position would say, you know what? I don't have the answers. We need God in this answer. Instead, we all act like we have the answer. We know it. We're perfect. We got it all licked. And we try to drive our own selves. And God sits there in heaven and says, what are you doing? I got this. And Jehoshaphat shows us a great amount of humility here as a leader in the Israel uh, troops. And he's saying to us, listen, 2021 believers, maybe you don't have the answers and that's okay. You don't have to. Because you know the one who does. Whoa. Wow. Number four, you got to do something once you know you don't have the answers. And that is you got to admit that you need help. Now, I know if you are a red-blooded American male, <laughs> this one stings. Right? You're out there doing something. I mean, at least for me, I'm out there. Uh, why do I always take the fall? For Landon, he's out in the garage. He's trying to do something. He can't do it. He won't go in and ask his I'm just joking around. He wouldn't go in and ask his dad. No, because he's a red-blooded American male. He'll figure it out. The car might blow up before he figures it out. Something might get worse. The washer might not work even altogether if you try to fix the washer. You know, and I'm just joking with Landon. I'm the same way. Why would I call for help? I can figure this out. It can't be that bad. 
And then all of a sudden, the appliance that Michelle wanted me to fix doesn't work at all. At least it had one burner that was working before. Don't worry, I'm not fooling with gas at our house, trust me. But you get the point. Listen to what Jehoshaphat says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. Oh God, our God, will you, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great herd, horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Hmm. Jehoshaphat says, Lord, I got a problem. No, no, scratch that. We've got a problem. Whole nation's got a problem. We don't know what to do, but here's what we do know. Our eyes are on you. Wow. And you thought that eyes on Jesus thing that I talked about several weeks ago was just a clever thing that I said. No, it's throughout Scripture. Eyes on Jesus. There's only one kind of person that God doesn't help. And this is a strong statement. It's usually the person who doesn't think he needs help. If you don't ask... You don't receive, James says. So if you don't ask for help, why would you receive the help? When you say, Lord, I've got a problem, I need your help, I admit my inadequacy, then he can work on it. The Christian life is a supernatural life and we need need God's power to live it. We can't live in our own because we have power shortage. God is willing to help, but if we are too proud to ask for it, James puts it this way in chapter three or in, in chapter uh, four, but it's Proverbs three thirty four that he's that James is is quoting. Here's what it says: God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So here's what that here's what that scripture passage means. We we quote that all the time and. Here's here's what it means. If you set yourself up to be a proud person, like I don't need no help, I got this, I got this licked, I don't need no help, I I got this, I got this. And, and, And we're talking about it from everything in our entire lives. You are the kind of person that God, God opposes. Who are the kind of people that God moves for, that God that God reacts to in a loving manner. Seems that from Proverbs 3.34 and James 4.6, it seems that the person that is being moved for and being is the person who sets themselves up on their knees. And says, look, I'm not even promised my next breath the next second. I'm not even promised to make it to tomorrow. The only reason I will make it to tomorrow is because God himself has allowed me to live another day. 
Those are the people that, that James is talking about in chapter 4, verse 6. He opposes those who say, I got this. I got this. I don't need your help. But he moves. Why do you think it is that in Chronicles earlier, what does he say to the nations? It is that nation that humbles themselves and realizes they don't got it all together, that he will heal. It's not the nations that say, you know what, God, we can do it without you. It's a powerful reminder. Principle number five is this. Rely on God's power. Rely on God's power. Did you notice that after Jehoshaphat admitted, Lord, I don't know what to do, he added these, this line that I said earlier, but our eyes are on you. The fifth principle in overcoming life's battle is to rely on God's power. See, we need to get our eyes off of every other power and every other person and put our eyes on God. Too often we've got our eyes on everything else, on everything except the one who can solve our problems, right? Circumstances are like a mattress. If we're on top, we rest easy. But if we're underneath, we might suffocate. If we keep our eyes on the Lord, we'll stay on top of our circumstances. But boy, if we get our eyes off of the Lord, we will go under. It's a powerful reminder of how God's power works. Overcoming life's battles to rely on God's power. One time I had this, and I may have shared this story years ago. Hopefully you forgot and you can act like this is a new story. But I was a youth pastor for about the first five years of being in ministry. And I had this youth group that called this meeting with me, and, and I had no clue what it was about, but it was really about to gripe. Now, Landon, this is not a true story from Faith Church, but it was about to gripe about their Sunday school teacher, right? So they called me into my office, and they, and they, you know, they were like, look, Pastor, you got to get her out of there. And I'm like, what do you mean I got to get her out of there? Oh, she, oh, the illustrations aren't very good. And, and, oh, it's so boring in that class. And it's so this in that class. And I listened to all of them. There was about 15 of them that were sitting in my office, um, jam-packed into this, what they called an office. It was basically a broom closet that they gave the youth pastor. And, and they, they just complained for like an hour straight. And I'm like, how am I going to handle this situation? And then finally, it came to me, and I believe it was of God. I said to them, listen, here's what I want you to do. All right? I said, I'm going to take these complaints. I'm going to write them down. I'm going to keep them. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to pray about it. But here's what I want you to do for the next four weeks, one month. Okay, what is it? I said, I want you to pray. What? Pastor, we, we want you to just go and remove her from class so that we can have a better class. We, could you teach the class? Could somebody else teach the class? Just, just somebody. To, to, no, no, no. Listen, for four weeks, I want you to pray, but I don't want you just to pray. I want you to pray for her. What? I want you to pray for her. 
I want you to ask her, ask the Lord to give her a new dwelling of the Holy Spirit. I want you to ask the Lord to light her fire. I want you to ask the Lord to give her new illustrations. I want you to ask the Lord also to open your hearts and ears to what she's trying to teach you. Because it's not just on her. I want you for the next four weeks to ask those things of God himself. And then after those four weeks, we're going to go one more month. You're going to sit in her class and you're going to like it. No, you're going to sit in her class and you're going to sit back and you're going to watch what God will do. And then you're going to come back to me and you're going to report to me after the two months. Listen, if you come back in here and you say she is still a horrible teacher or whatever else you want to say, then we will talk. But until then, but you have to promise me that you are going to pray for her like it's dependent upon you. I want you to pray for her passion. I want you to pray that she doesn't just prepare lessons on the way to church. I want you to pray that she is in the Bible every day of the week. That when she comes in, she brings you a fresh feeding of the word of God. That's what I want you to pray. You have to promise it. And if you don't promise it, my deal is off. I'm not listening to you after two months. You must promise it. Now you say that's hardcore, whatever. I want to tell you something. After two months, they begged me not to remove her. Now, did she change her teaching? Absolutely not. But the Holy Spirit did. But God's power got a hold of her. And to this day, if you interview those kids who sit in that youth group and you ask them, who was the person that had the most influence? It certainly wasn't Pastor Brett. It was their Sunday school teacher who for four hours, they sat in my office and begged me to remove their. Don't you ever, ever, ever doubt the power of God's working on someone's life. Four weeks of prayer. That's all I ask from those teenagers. Four weeks, you're praying for her daily. If you miss a day, get it the next day. I want you to pray for her, that you would see her in a different light, but also that she would bring a new feeding of the Holy Spirit. And look what happened. Now they can't stop talking about her. Don't you dare, Pastor. Don't you dare remove her. Okay, man, I, I'm not removing her. But you know what we have done? Most times what we have done is we've given up on something. We've given up on this opportunity. We've never once, never once, never once bowed our knee for it. And we've wondered where God's power has gone. Right? We complain and we bicker and we do this and we do that. We've never once bowed our knee for it. God's power is gone. It can't work anymore. It can't do this. That is such a lie from the enemy. And we believe it. We believe it. You say, well, how do you know we believe it? Just look. I had a conversation with someone this past week. He says, I remember when... When classes were so full, I remember when you didn't have to worry, are you going to ever have any youth group again? And I walked out of that meeting that night and I said, yeah. And what changed? And the first thing we do is we point ourselves to those people out there changed. No, 
No, that's not all the problem. Some of it is that we changed. And somehow God's power doesn't have the same power as it did in the New Testament. Somehow 3,000 people coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Well, that's absolutely ridiculous. Why would you believe in that? Right? When the pastor talks about filling the pulpits, we get all kinds, of, or filling the pulpits, <laughs> filling the pews. I don't want to fill the pulpits. We, we fill the, pul- the pews. We, we get all kinds of funny, like, you know, you know well, well, you know, this is, this is different now, pastor. We don't want to talk about that. Why? What, what happens if God's power really gets a hold of this place? Well, then I would have to shut it down. Fair enough. Then you would be the one in James chapter 4 verse 6 that he opposes. Because that's a very proud response to God's power moving. I would have to leave because God's power moved and then people started coming and then it got a little too crammed. It's prideful. And Jehoshaphat shows us that when God's power moves, God's power moves. And so maybe there's something that's bugging you right now. And then it can do with church. It can be doing with, with jobs. It can be doing with kids. Trust me, I know. It can be doing with, with parenting. It can be doing with whatever. Can I ask you something? When was the last time that, when was the last time that you truthfully set everything aside and said, Lord, just me and you. Let's talk about this. No, no, I'm not talking about when you have 20 other things going on. The microwave's about to hit ding. And we're cooking supper and we're praying to the Lord and we're doing everything else. No, 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 no. No, I'm talking about pure and utter communication with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Cut off from all other distractions. When was the last time? And maybe it was recently, and praise the Lord if it was, but I got to tell you, when I did some inventory, it's few and far between. Number three, or number six, excuse me, is relax in faith. Relax in faith. Notice how God responded to Jehoshaphat's prayer. Here's what he says. And he, now we learn from the verse prior to this, that that's the spirit of the Lord speaking here, said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You see, the sixth principle is overcoming life's battles is to relax in faith. That's where faith comes in. It's not to eliminate fear. Remember that. It's not to eliminate fear. You can be very afraid and still drive to this point. Because here's what fear should do. It should drive you to your faith. 
But what ends up happening a lot of times is, is that fear keeps us all wrapped up and lined up and duct taped together. And then we get like this. And when we try to get over to where the faith is over there, we're just kind of stuck in this. this and we're just trying to dance on over there. And we can't move because we're so tied up in fear that we're afraid to take one step. And God's calling us. He's standing over here saying, come to me during this time. Come to me. You're fighting a battle that I can win. Come to me. And we're over here in fear going, I'm not sure. I I might catch this or I might do this or I might get this or I might have this. Or what if this happens or what if that happens? And we're so caught up in fear that we're not making any steps towards God himself. And Jehoshaphat is saying here, listen, friends. When the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to them, he says, Listen, all who are there and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. I love how the Spirit of the Lord includes the king. He doesn't have to mention him. He could say all the inhabitants of Judah. That is King Jehoshaphat. But he actually mentions King Jehoshaphat and he says, Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. So many Christians are totally worn out because they're trying to fight God's battles on their own power. Before my heart decided to do what it's doing, I remember being early on in the... uh, in the ministry, and I would get chances to speak at my home church. Now, something you need to know about that's different from our church to the home churches is that they had an 8 o'clock service and a 1030 service. So whenever you preached, you preached twice. You preached the same message over again. It never came out the same. It always came out differently. Um, In fact, my mom stayed for both messages when I would preach, and she she would say to me, Did you change the notes in the middle of Sunday school? No, I didn't. I just preached and the Lord led. But anyway, all that to say, we would get to the end of the day. And I remember being so dead tired. Like literally tired. There was one time, and and my parents, if they're watching here today, they may remember this time. I don't know if they will. But we had people that we took out to eat afterwards. We went to the Olive Garden. Now I'm making everybody hungry. I promise I'll bring this ship down soon. And, we're, and we're, we're sitting there, and we're sitting at the Olive Garden. I'm eating spaghetti or whatever I ordered. I, I like one of their dishes, and I literally fell asleep in the pasta. Literally, my face went down, and I went, mm. I was so tired. And you know, I had this pastor there that was by the name of Dick Christman who was a fiery pastor and a lot like I get when I preach, but he also told you how he felt. (laughs) You didn't have to ask Pastor Dick how he felt about something. He would pretty much tell you. I remember going to him and saying, man, Pastor Dick, every time I preach, I get so darn tired. I remember him looking across the office. I, I can smell the office. That office had a certain smell to it. It was a good smell. But I remember looking at him looking across the office. And he says, that's because, Kendig, you're doing it in your own power. 
I said, whoa, 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 Pastor Dick. I love you, man, but you are so far off the rocker right now. I'd like to come over there and show you how far off the rocker you are. But let me tell you something. He wasn't. He wasn't. Started going to times of prayer before the service after that. I started asking the Lord to get me out of the pulpit and put him in the pulpit and just. And do you know what? It changed like that. I no longer was tired after preaching. Now you say, well, that's just a freak incident. No, it's not. See, I was preparing sermons to get those people that needed to be here. You know, I was preparing sermons for certain people. I was doing it all in my own power. I didn't really care what the Holy Spirit had to say to me. I was going to preach and I was going to preach hard. I'm thankful for a pastor who loved me enough to look at me across the desk and say, stop doing it in your own power. You won't be so tired. And as much as it jolted me and as much as I wanted to fight, (laughs) as bad as that sounds to fight your lead pastor, he was right. And maybe some of you are worn out. Maybe some of you are just looking around and you're saying, man, I'm just just tired. May I ask you, have you, have you been asking him to refill you? Have you been asking him for strength? Or have you kind of just been doing it on your own? Because if you've been doing it on your own, that could be the reason. Here's the truth. We do not hold up God. He holds us up. How many of you have heard God helps those who help themselves? It's a truth. But the truth of the matter, it's not the truth. The truth of the matter is God helps those who cannot help themselves. Now listen to me carefully. I'm not saying we should not try. That's the problem with some ways of handling this. Some people say, well, I shouldn't even prepare a sermon. Some pastors say, I don't even prepare a sermon. I let the Holy Spirit lead every Sunday morning. I think the Holy Spirit leads best when we are prepared. When we have asked Him to be in the preparations. We should try. We should give it our best effort. But we should also realize that without God's power, we have no power at all. It's the truth. Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. In other words, just the way you became a believer, be sure to live the Christian life the same way. You did not become a Christian by working really hard at it. Did you? I mean, I sure hope not. No, the only reason you became a Christian was because God Himself said, here's grace. You don't deserve it. You don't need, you don't want, you don't want it right now in your life because a lot of us didn't when we came to know Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That was the last thing we thought we needed was grace. Here it is. Take it. 
It wasn't because we worked hard. It wasn't because we did our devotions right. It wasn't because we were in the daily bread. It wasn't because we had our names in a red book in the church office that said we were members. It wasn't because of any of that. It was because God himself gave us the right to become sons and daughters of him. Wow. And yet we sometimes try to live the life of Christ out like we did not become a believer. And what I mean by that is, is that we try to work harder. We try to get more involved. We try to be involved in everything under the sun so that we can say, look, God, I'm, I'm being used by you. And what God is saying is, listen, you didn't get here by doing that and you shouldn't try it now. Would you rest in me? Would you understand that it does not depend on anything you do? And that's hard to hear. That's hard to preach because I, I want it to depend on some things that people do. But I'd be a lying preacher if I stood here and said, it depends on what you do. That's not the truth. Paul says it to them. The Christian life is a walk of faith. If God says he'll take care of it, guess what? He will. And God has never broken his promise. Not once. So we relax and allow him to be in charge. This is for me the hardest lesson to learn out of all the seven principles. That is because I want to be in charge. Remember that word control? I want it. But notice what God is saying to Jehoshaphat. He says it in verse 17. Here's what he says. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position. See the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. What does it mean to stand firm when you've got a problem? When you're facing a battle, when you're in a crisis in life, it's a mental attitude of quiet confidence that says, I'm going to trust God. If he has promised you that he will take care of it, he will. But here's where, and we're going to get to the song in just one minute, but here's where it's really important because this song kind of leads you in a place that I want to be very careful about. It is not only worked out when it works out the way you think it ought to work out. Don't you dare go from here saying, God works on my timetable. God works on my thinking. And so sometimes you may think this is when it will be worked out. I know exactly what God will do. And God works it all out. And he takes care of the whole issue. And we stand back and say, well, that's not the way I thought it was. And so what do we do? We pitch a royal fit. At least I do. We stand back and say, wait, wait a second. It was supposed to work out like this. He says it will work out. He has you in his hands. And sometimes in his hands means that you come out of it on the other side stronger than ever. And sometimes it means that you come out of it in another place with him. One-on-one -on -one, in a relationship with Jesus Christ in heaven. In a glorious presence of his. Sometimes it means different. 
But what we believe in our heads sometimes is, is that the only way this can come out and be of God is, is that if it comes out and it works out in my favor or in the person's favor that we're praying for. That is so untrue. It is, it is actually scary. There will be times that it will work out and it won't work out in your way, but it will work out just the way God, God's not surprised by it. And trust me, if you think it's lost on me, what I'm saying to you this morning, don't. Yes, even in a surgery situation, the worst is God's calling. It's not wasted. Whether you come out on the other side or you don't, God be glorified. That's what Jehoshaphat is calling us to. That's what God is calling us to here by saying, stand firm. I'm going to trust God. And then last is this, number seven, thank God in advance. The seventh principle in conquering life's battle is to thank God in advance for giving you the victory. Whatever that victory looks like. Again, the victory doesn't always have to be a victory. Yesterday, Freddie was playing a song, and I, I'm glad he's not here. Good. He was playing a song at a, at, a, at a festival, and he messed up. He got his hands off of the wrong keys, and he started to play, and he couldn't play the song. And as you could see his eyes welling up with tears. There's 20-some people sitting under the tent. He gets up from the thing, he grabs his head, and he's bawling his eyes out. He's broken by it. But do you know what I said to him on the way home? I said, buddy, here's the opportunity. You have an opportunity. This can either get you to the point where you, you say, forget this piano. I'm not playing this piano ever again. Or you can use this to, to strive you to get better, to practice with Miss Debbie Moore, to practice with your piano teacher, to learn from your mistake. Do you realize that that was a victory for him? I'm, I'm, I, uh, this, this is going to sound completely uncool, but I'm going to say it. I'm kind of glad it happened. Why? You say that's, that's ruthless. No, it's not. It's growing him. Do you know that next week he's going to sit at this very piano and give you a ministry of music? Why? Because someone believed in him by the name of Debbie and asked him just this morning, will you do a ministry of music with me? Because when you fall off the horse, you get back up on it. It's a victorious thing. And even the bad things can be good things in your life. You don't have to mope the rest of the day. And that's what I told him on the way home. You don't have to keep your head down the rest of the day. You made a mistake. You got your hands off a line. It happens, buddy. But let's, let's make this a glorifying victory for Jesus Christ by making you better on the other end of it. Let's not let it become... Something that we dwell on all the rest of our day. And that's the call of God. Now get the picture of what's going on here. There are two mountains and a valley in between. The battle is going to take place in the valley. On one mountain are three enemy armies that just wanting to devastate the Jews. On the other mountain are the Jews led by Jehoshaphat. He tells his people, here's God's plan. All those all of those who can sing in the choir, I want you out front. 
I want them to lead the battle line. So they go marching out in the battle with those with the choir in the front of the army, singing praises to God. Now, who fights a battle like that? I mean, that would be like if we're, we're being under siege and people are coming in with machine guns and we had a praise team, which we do. And I said to the praise team, okay, all you praise team members, get out there, start playing your instruments. We're going to go out after them. What good does a trombone have over a machine gun? And so, so Jehoshaphat has this battle plan that's given to him by God. And he says, listen, the choir goes first. We're going to sing praises to God. So they go marching into battle with the choir in front of the army. Um, wouldn't you let your, and again, wouldn't you let your strongest men lead the way? That's not God's plan. He wanted the choir out front. Did God's plan work? It certainly did. The Bible tells us that their three enemy armies got confused. They got confused because they were like, what in the world? We're, we're here to fight an army and you got choir members coming out. And you know what they started to do? They started to shoot each other. Kill each other. It's right in the scriptures. They defeated themselves. All God's people had to do was to divide up the plunder. Why did he do it this way? As a visual object lesson to teach us who come along to praise him in faith even before the victory, even before the battle was won, even before the battle was fought, we need to praise God. When God gives us a promise, we need to praise him because the promise from God is a sure thing. Here's what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 2. Or chapter 20, verse 25. Here's what it says. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers good deeds or goods, clothing and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were there three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. Wow. And so we finally come to the end of the story. And the end of the story is, is that Jehoshaphat's team, Jehoshaphat's army wins it because they put the choir in front and they sing praises to God. They confuse the living daylights out of the other army. Boom, they start killing each other. And now they are collecting their blessing. And what does it say on the screen? It's not me saying it. It's on the screen. It says for three days they picked up the plunder. They picked up the other stuff that was left by these other armies. For three days they were being blessed by God. Because they fought the battle the way God wanted to. That's what this song is about. It's called Battle Belongs by Phil Wickham. And it says these words in it that are so powerful. I fight my battles on my knees with my hands lifted high. Give a listen and think about it. Go ahead, Bill. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity.